Welcome to Charting the Course, a podcast from Full Sail Capital, dedicated to providing you with insights, assurance, and confidence to grow and manage generational wealth. Full Sail Capital is a fiduciary registered investment advisor managing more than $1.5 billion with a focus on integrity, competency, and transparency. All right. Well, hey, it's great to be with you today. I hope you're all having an awesome summer, staying safe on your road trips or flying or whatever you're doing. Just a quick reminder, as you're on those road trips, we recently released the first two episodes in our Anchored series, which is going to focus on real estate. So be sure and go back, give those a listen. I know you'll enjoy them. I know I sure did. They're, they're full of great information, so don't miss those. Now, this week, we're going to roll out another new series called At the Helm. This one will be highlighted throughout each year going forward, very similar to Anchored. But this series will feature interviews with entrepreneurs, really of all backgrounds, from the individual starting a small business to uh, individual or a group of partners running a large corporation. These entrepreneurs have incredible stories to tell, and so we're going to begin to highlight a few each year. To kick us off, we asked friend of the firm, Bailey Gordon, to sit down and tell her story, which led to the creation of her nonprofit consulting business, Bailey Gordon Consulting. To help me tell her story, I've asked Catherine Van Landingham, Full Sales Operations Director, but more importantly, our in-house nonprofit cheerleader, to join me today. Bailey, myself, and Catherine sit down and have a conversation, and you will quickly see the passion and energy that drives Bailey every day as she serves her clients. So again, this is going to be the first part of many conversations in this series over the coming years, but I know you'll enjoy it. If you have any feedback for me, please let me know. But more importantly, have a great week. Here is my conversation with Catherine and Bailey about Bailey's business. Catherine, Bailey, thank you guys so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to kind of tee off this new entrepreneurship series that we've started thinking about. And Catherine, when you and I were talking after kind of brainstorming a little bit, Bailey came to mind, which I know everybody will really come to understand why here when we finish this, but why don't you introduce Bailey, how you got to know her, where you all first met, and then we'll have Bailey fill in the gaps and give us a background on on her and uh, what's brought her to this point. Sure, love to. I first met Bailey when I started volunteering for the Lyric Theater for their Broadway and Brew and reformed a friendship there over our love of cowboys and giving back to the community. From that point, she got me to volunteer for the Oklahoma Hall of Fame on their Second Century Board, which I had the pleasure of serving with her there and that. And our friendship just continued to grow. Bailey started her own company two years ago. And when she first came and told me that what she was thinking and what she wanted to do, I knew immediately that she was going to be successful and that this was absolutely perfect for her. Everybody who knows Bailey loves her. She's got a smile and a giving heart that is just contagious. And it's just been thrilling to watch her company take off and the success that she's already had. And I know it's going to continue to grow. Awesome. Thanks, Catherine. So Bailey, fill in the gaps a little bit for us. Let's, first of all, what is your business today? What, when somebody asks you what you do, what do you say? And then back us up to where kind of that passion came from for this nonprofit world that you live in. Okay. Love it. Well, thanks, Catherine, for that really nice intro. I will say I have to point out that what we bonded over we're packing the raffle packages and making them look cute. Yes. That was our yes. main job on the committee. And we nailed it. Yeah. 100%. They all had fun names. You know, they were all named after show tunes. So it was just a real thing. We knew it we was were, perfect. We knew we were friends when yes. we were on the same page with that. So what everybody's hearing right now is that you two are who they need to come to for the next uh, charity event. So you guys yes. better be careful. <laughs> right. Well, I'm kind of out of the raffle business now, but you know, no, I, um, like Catherine said, I just have always kind of 
had a heart for philanthropy. And I remember growing up, I grew up in Chickasha and my parents were really civically involved. And so, you know, I remember my dad coming home from board meetings later than he normally would for work and kind of just learning about that kind of world from him a little bit. Then fast forward to when I was at OSU, I ended up getting a job at the OSU Foundation working in their donor relations department. And donor relations is my favorite part of fundraising because that's when you just get to say thank you and make sure people know exactly what their money has gone to, see the impact, feel really great about what they've done. And so I was doing things like writing handwritten notes to donors, wrapping gifts for donors coming to Stillwater. They had me helping with the Scholar Roundup event where we had each scholarship recipient like sign their papers and write a thank you note and do all these things. And my boss at the time, Michael Shaw, she recently just left um, to go run the Stillwater Medical Center Foundation, but she was incredible. And so I just, you know, really learned a lot from her. And I thought, wow, this is really how the magic happens. Because as a scholarship recipient, I was able to see, okay, so these people at the foundation are finding people who love OSU and who want to make great things happen for students. And then they're the connection point. And so that's where it's all happening. So When I had, again, the most fun job in the foundation, (laughs) plus seeing the way that the donors' passions were coming together to, you know, fulfill the university's needs, that was just really cool to me. And so I decided that I wanted to start pursuing career opportunities there because, you know, in high school, I was class president and just Susie High School was always in charge of whatever fundraiser or event was going on. And. I thought, wow, I can make a career out of this and I can keep doing this. And growing up, I also was always involved in the arts. I remember one day making a list because I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And I am a list maker, apparently. And so I drew a line down the center of my paper and said, things I like, things I don't like. And it just ran the gamut. I mean, it was like, I like ice cream. I like musicals. (laughs) Show tunes. I like, yeah, I like all of these things. And then these things I do not like, and I don't remember what was, oh, I was staying, I was traveling for work and staying in hotel rooms that I thought were scary. So I was like, scary hotel rooms, don't like (laughs) that. And so I kind of just looked at all of the things I liked and I thought, you know, I really want to work in the arts, but I don't want to be an artist and I don't want to teach the classes and that's not the place I want to work. I want to work in the management and administration part and help make the arts happen. So I was really, really fortunate when I got to Oklahoma City that I actually ended up getting a job with Allied Arts, which was basically my dream job right right off the bat. And so from there, I started learning the ins and outs of an annual fundraising campaign because, as you guys know, they do this incredible, huge campaign for the arts every year. And so I started out just working as an assistant and learning, you know, how to set up the volunteer meetings, what the volunteers needed to be successful how to tell these stories, what was resonating with different audiences. And then I moved into the employee giving role where I was going out and helping volunteers within their companies manage their own campaigns. Just got really diverse experience through that and really caught the bug there. Somebody early in my career said, how did you fall into fundraising? Like, how did this happen? Because for most people, it's not now things are a little different. Now major universities are offering nonprofit management courses and majors or minors. But, you know, when we were in school, we didn't have any of that. So I was a marketing major. You're ahead of the game. I'll even say entrepreneurship was, I believe, a minor. It was barely a minor, I think. Yeah. At least Oklahoma State. It may may have been different at some of the other state schools. But yeah, it's it's such a different world. So 
continue. Yeah, but it, it really is different now. So I feel like the trends may change as more students seek out nonprofit work. Definitely. You just kind of had to learn on the job. And so I was really fortunate to have mentors like Deborah McAuliffe Center, who is, you know, about to retire from Allied Arts. But she was wonderful to kind of take me under her wing. And I've just been fortunate in really every job that I've had these really powerhouse fundraisers to get to learn from. So yeah, so it was just, um, it ended up being just like the perfect place for me to start. And I've worked on a major capital campaign, a national campaign. So then got some major gifts fundraising, as they call it, got some of that under my belt, was traveling again. And then, as Catherine mentioned, went to the Oklahoma Hall of Fame and got to work with Shannon Rich there, who's still there and is incredible. Fabulous. Um, yeah, I'm in her fan club. I might be the president. Okay. I'm and second right behind yeah, her. Yeah, vice president. Yeah. Yes. There, I became director of development. And so I really got the hands-on experience of learning all types of fundraising. You know, I was writing all of the, you know, annual donor renewal letters. I was working on event fundraising. I was working with the Second Century Board. So truly, Catherine was part of that first board probably that we put together, right? First or second? It was second. Yeah. yeah, really, really early on when we kind of revamped that. And that board is just still growing, still raising lots of money and raising, bringing new people to the Hall of Fame, which is exactly what we wanted it to do. So it's awesome to see the growth of that group. But while I was there, you know, I got the experience of being a development development department party of one. And <laughs> Shannon would laugh at me because she'd be like, well, how are things in the development department? I'd say, we're getting along great. We have some really awesome ideas for you. You know, she always laughed in our meetings. That's because, fantastic. Yeah. I'd be like, well, the development department, you know, we just really love each other here. And we're having You're always queen of warm fuzzies, an too. An awesome time. Making that connection to the donors oh. and finding the way to relate to them. Well, that's what's so important. You know, people give for a multitude of reasons, but you have to create that warmth for them and let them know, like, that they're welcome, that they're thanked. So, yeah, that's, you know, I am yeah. kind of hearts and stars, warm, fuzzy kind of person. So, but. I, you know, we, there were several times when that was when I started learning, you know, how to prioritize which efforts were going to be most effective, where were we going to see the most growth in our programs and really got to help think strategically about who needs funding for what and where are we going to find that and what are we going to go for? And so that was kind of my first foray into steering that ship a little okay. bit as far as, you know, where is the funding going to make the biggest impact? And how much funding do we need to be able to hire another person or do, you know, mm -hmm. be able to really grow? So you can clearly tell already that, and Catherine, you alluded to it, but your passion just for what you do is absolutely evident. I wish you guys could see their faces as we're talking about this. <laughs> uh, if I don't stop them, I think they could just keep talking about all their friends and warm fuzzies for the entire day. We're, we're not animated over here. Yeah, at all. nothing at all. At all. <laughs> yeah. all right. You've walked us through it and, and you've clearly learned different pockets of the nonprofit market, whether it's fundraising, business development, grant writing, you, you've kind of have this, you know, path you've taken. At what point did you begin to think that there's a business out there that needs to be identified or, or you've identified a business, you've identified a niche in that business, in that nonprofit sector. At what point did you start to get that nudge of like, maybe I can do this. Maybe this is something that there's a need because I know when we've been talking before this, we start recording, I think this story is really neat of how you kind of were like, wait, I, I think this is what I want to do. Yeah. You know, I had kind of a full circle moment, actually, because while I worked at Allied Arts, I was getting my MBA 
from OU through their professional part-time program. And I was the only nonprofit professional in that program. And so these engineers and people would be like, you work for a nonprofit. Why are you even here? Why do you need this? And I said, well, nonprofits need to run probably more efficiently than a for-profit business. No doubt. There are fewer resources. And I said, you know, people who are in nonprofits, whether they've started it, whether they're the executive director or most people don't get into it like I did because I'm kind of the data nerd side. You know, most people want to actually do the programming and they're passionate about kids having their free art classes or free mental health services being available for the community. And so you've got all these people who are experts in their fields, but they're not experts in marketing and fundraising and forecasting their revenue and you know, all of those things. That's not why they got into the nonprofit world because they got into the nonprofit world because they wanted to help people. And so I said, I want to be the person that can show organizations how to do this. And I kind of thought that was going to be my role just, again, kind of as I got in, I started really feeling that when I started working at the Hall of Fame and when Shannon and I would have those really strategic conversations. As I left, as I left the Hall of Fame, before I left, there are always development jobs open, always fundraising jobs open. No matter where you are, the average development director stays about 18 months. And honestly, those were pre-COVID stats. And so it's probably shorter now. Is it burnout? It's burnout. It's burnout. It's a tough job. It's honestly like fundraisers probably don't get thanked enough for the work that they do. And I think there's a, there's a lot of pressure in it, you know, in any business development job, if you're not bringing in sales, you know, you're not going to stay. And so, but I think also with, you know, fundraisers also end up getting to be work at a high level, but yet you don't get paid at a high level in a nonprofit. So I think, you know, anytime you could make $5,000 more, $10,000 more, you're like, bye, (laughs) I'll go do it. And all of the causes are worthy. So it's not like you're leaving somebody in a lurch or leaving to do something that's yeah. Not good yeah. for the community. Like you're going to do I, oh, something you're, else. You're going to go help the orphans and kids now. It's like, golly, I can't believe you would do that. Right. Can't be mad. Exactly. <laughs> like you can't be mad at people for it, but okay. there was just so much turnover. And so I, at one point had 10 different jobs within two weeks. People say, Hey, we've got this job opening. Do you want it? Or do you know of somebody who would want it? And I was kind of learning about their budgets for these And I thought, you know, I don't think they're going to get somebody really experienced for the amount that they're paying. But I, you know, I know why the salary amount is where it is. But I just kept thinking, huh, that's interesting. There are so many out here and this is, you know, this is kind of the budget for it. And this is the type of person that everyone wants. Somebody with a lot of experience, degree, years of experience, proven record in fundraising, you know, all of those things. So I thought, huh, that's interesting. And then I thought, I wonder if they really need that high level person. Or if they need somebody who can just kind of like do some of the daily tasks that need to be done or something like that. So anyway, I just kind of got my wheels turning and I left the industry for a little while and not long after I left um, to do some more community development type stuff. And not long after I left, our shared, our mutual friend, Lauren Workentine came to me and she said, I'm on the board for this new nonprofit and we do not know what we're doing when it comes to fundraising. Would you want to help us? We will pay you. And since it wasn't a conflict of interest for me to help because I wasn't raising money for an organization full time, I was like, yeah, sure, I'll try it. And I really, really loved getting to coach and train and help them figure out their plan and talk about their goals and what they wanted to do and how fundraising was going to help them achieve those goals. So I was, you know, working 
after hours on that and I would look forward to it. You know, the word got out to a couple of really my close contacts in the nonprofit world and they kept saying, well, we might need help with that or this organization might need help with that. And so it just got to a point where I naturally had so many opportunities that I thought, man, if these all come in, I'm going to have to work 24 hours a day. When am I going to sleep? Right. I didn't mention that in my MBA, I was actually in the entrepreneurship track. That was the way that I went. I kind of felt like raising capital, raising funds, you know, that's all kind of similar, but I've always kind of wanted to have my own business. I actually wrote several business plans in college for myself and then thought, oh, I don't know if I really want to do that. Is that how that's I really want to so spend funny. my every day? And so then this came about and was just so natural that for me, I was like, well, I'll get to have my own business, do something that I really enjoy and that it's kind of naturally happening. So I just decided to go ahead and take the leap. Oh, and by the way, now you look back and you have all these stops where you've learned things and built relationships, which is another major, major key, the relational capital that you developed and built up. And so now people are coming to you going, listen, this is... This is exactly what we need. We know you. We trust you. I think it's always neat to look back on anybody in in your shoes and see the stops that were made along the way. And at the time, it may have seemed seemed a little bit, you know, why am I here? What am I doing? Yeah. Or getting an MBA with, and I'm thinking about entrepreneurship. Right. And and now here you are. Now you're, here running, I am. you're running a business. Yeah. Well, and I started when I started kind of talking through with like you know with Catherine and some of my some of my close friends and you know my mom and saying, I think I might really want to do this. I think I might want to do this full time. And I may have enough opportunity to do it full time because, you know, that's every entrepreneur's nightmare is like, well, am I going to quit and not be able to do this anymore? As I'm talking to my close friends and my family about, do I want to pursue this full time? I just kept saying, I really want to help organizations run efficiently and effectively. And then I thought, where have I heard that before? And it just took me back to my MBA days when people would say, why are you here? And I'd say, well, this is why I'm here, because I want to take that burden off of these, you know, the administrative or fundraising burden off of these people so they can do what they're meant to do, what they're great at. You know, my business, of course, has evolved over a couple of years because at first it's like, I just need any job. What was day one um, after Lauren brings you on and you help that organization? When did you officially set up? Bailey Gordon Consulting. So my LLC I did in like July of 2019. Okay. And so I started consulting basically that first six months on the side. And then they decided to go in a different direction, but I was already still pretty set on like, oh, I think there's something here. I think there's something that could happen here. So I already had a couple of other opportunities that that I was talking over with some friends. And so my first client I had, my friend Lexi Lux, who I have followed her throughout her career, which is hilarious. She recommended me to Shannon for the Hall of Fame job. And um, so I just kept being like, Lexi, I'm just going to keep following you. But She was working for Center for Children and Families in Norman at the time, and they were going through transition time with their organization. And she said, we don't have anybody on staff who has the time or the training to do grant writing. Can you do that for us? And I said, yeah, sounds great. So I had one contract. It was enough to pay my mortgage and my bills. All that matters. And (laughs) I was like, all right, well, I've got that. And then I had a couple that were in the works that honestly didn't even end up panning out because as you know, not every single client does. You've got to But But those keep you turning. They keep the- They do. They they give you something every day to think I'm working towards something. Yeah. You know, there's a couple options. you refine your pitch every time. So it also just helped me because the more organizations I talked to in those early days. So 
I started February 1, 2020, so I didn't have a whole lot of time before right. shutdown. So right. in February, what I had done was meet with like a few key people in the industry. There was everyone was so kind to meet with me. Marnie Taylor let me come and meet with her at the Center for Nonprofits. Frank Merrick and Carrie Blakely invited me to come talk with them specifically about how they could support me in this. We're, we're big fans. We, we are another fan. Okay. Foundation Management Fan Club over big, here. Big, big time. That's, yes. yeah, they are fantastic. That's, that's it. But they were kind enough to invite me in and talk with me and refer, you know, immediately refer some things to me. You know, then just took as many potential client meetings as I could. I remember when she was getting ready to jump to ship, if you will, and start off. Obviously, she was nervous, I think, right before this all started, but you could just see her enthusiasm and her genuine love for what she's doing now. And I never had a doubt. And I and others kept asking her, when are you going to do this? Like, take the leap, get going. It's going to work out. We had faith yeah. in her. Yeah. Well, and I know Lauren was a big person who kept talking to me about, well, you're when you've got your back against the wall and when it's make it or break it time, that's when you're going to see it. And I will say my mom, um, she was a school teacher and just really risk averse. My dad had his own business. So this is not, my dad was an attorney, had his own practice in Chickasha. You know, it's not that we're not familiar with kind of the entrepreneurial world, but my mom was just always so hesitant. Well, you know, is that, are you going to have enough money? Are you going to, you know, is this going to be okay? Being a great mom. Oh, moms. Yeah, I yeah. know, asking the right questions. But then when my mom said to me, she goes, Bailey, every time in your life that you've told me you were going to do something, I thought, how is she going to do that? How is that going to work? And she goes, and then you did it. And it was great. And she goes, so I don't know why you wouldn't make this work too. Mm. You always make it work. Powerful. And that was the go ahead that I felt like, I somehow needed yep. to to yeah. just move forward. I was like, if mom thinks I can do this, then I can do it. Did she tell you that over her famous cookies? No, we were on the phone, but I remember it very, very vividly. So yeah, it was just like, wow, if mom, mom's the most cautious person I know. <laughs> she thinks She's giving that, you the kick. Got yeah, her stamp of approval. Exactly. So yeah, it was just an interesting time, but I feel like that time was so valuable to me in figuring out, I'm still kind of figuring out what services I offer and, you know, re continue to refine that all the time. But the more potential clients I could listen to, the more I found in common right. for all of them. So, so you've kind of carved out this niche yeah. of, of where you fit. And I think explain that a little bit. Of, yeah. Because in the nonprofit fundraising world, you do really X, Y, and Z really, really well because, and you've made the comment off air, that these executive directors and executive committees, their passion is to push the organization forward, but they may lack in the either time or ability to, to do what you do. So right. what is it that you do? What's your niche? Yeah. So my niche is working with organizations that do not have a full-time fundraiser on staff. So I work with organizations of all budget size, really all staff size, but the common thread is that they either don't have a full-time development director or just kind of need some extra support, yep. some extra help. Okay. More turnkey solution, somebody they don't have to train who can just come in and get these things done and, you know, take some of these things off of their plate. So, yeah, those are really the groups that I've started working with. And in all of my potential client meetings, the common thread, the common questions were that people just said, you know, where do I even start? I don't know where to start or who do we ask or how do we ask? And 
then I would say the fourth question that then comes up is who's going to do this? Because again, staffing, you know, most nonprofits are understaffed. There's just not enough time in the day for people to get done. So I talk with a lot of executive directors who are like, you know, I'm managing the team. I'm managing our programs. They may be helping provide services still in some way. And so any way that I can get in there and help and just create more capacity for them, take kind of the burden of fundraising off and just make it an easier process. That's what I really focus on doing. Perfect. Well, I know the best part of the job you we can speak on for probably hours. What has been the hardest part of the job so far? There are a few things that are really hard. Pricing was hard to figure out. Sure. And I think maybe more so for me than either other consultants because I work specifically in the nonprofit space. Because, you know, you want to, as everyone always says, get paid what you're worth, make what you're worth. But I also am conscious of the fact that I'm not dealing with major corporations with giant budgets here. And, you know, my goal is that I want to help nonprofits raise more money so they can do more good. And so I don't want to price my service is so high right. that they're not affordable. Fair. But when people aren't very invested, they also tend to not be very engaged. And so it's been kind of hard finding that yeah. kind of sweet spot of how am I being compensated fairly, but how is it still a fair price for the nonprofit and affordable and mm-hmm. accessible to the nonprofits? And so that's really interesting. I'm really focused on, I really want people to be able to find a high level of expertise and someone with a lot of experience for, you know, less than they would have to pay a full-time person. Right. I don't need to pay me benefits or. Yep. Oh yeah. Or anything uh, like that. There is no overhead. Right. um, And so the pricing has been really challenging. And then I would say the other thing that is really hard is just kind of figuring out what my capacity is as yet again, a party of one. I, really have to figure out, you know, I don't like to say no if it's somebody I really feel like I can help and has a lot of potential and is doing something that I think is super cool. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to say no, but I also know that, you know, I want to do a really good job for everyone. And so I don't want to be the person that's holding things up or, you know, really not delivering on what I said I could do. So I think that's the other real challenge in the consulting world and in this space that I've created is how do I just manage that and balance all of my different clients? Teeing off or kind of taking a segue off of the hardest part of the job, what are a few challenges you th- you feel like you've faced as an entrepreneur so far? I mean, you've kind of just talked about it. What about you just hired some interns? We I saw. did. I did. What was that process like? Do you think you'll, now you're hiring somebody, is that a whole other element for you to, you know, to not be a party of one anymore? It is. And I have worked with people off and on throughout my time when I have, you know, heavier loads. There are some people that I've kind of contracted to and different things like that. And then with my interns, I was only going to hire one and I ended up with two because they were both so impressive and enthusiastic. And, and I thought- and Bailey can't say no. She's already established All right, so I you can't. Both, you both. But I kind of looked and I looked at what my investment would be just adding another one. And I thought, you know what? I think this could be worth it. Yeah. So oh, yeah. um, they're just cranking out projects right and left. I feel like I almost- you know, then the thing with that is then you're moving to reviewing, providing feedback and not just thinking of everything from scratch or doing it all yourself. And so there is this interesting balance of, okay, I need time to really sit down and focus on things for myself, but I also need to be supporting them and training them and equipping them to be doing what they need to do. So it's very different. And, you know, I kind of, 
have thought for a while, well, do I want to stay by myself or do I want to grow into maybe a larger firm and have multiple employees? And so I think that when it comes right down to it, if I'm going to expand my impact as a business, if I'm going to be able to serve more groups, I just am going to have to multiply. There's, I can't do it. And and what a good, what a good way to kind of get some exposure there than by bringing on these extremely bright oh, young yeah. interns that they both that, put on their LinkedIn that they work for they work at Bailey Gordon Consulting and I, I hope it. they don't listen to this because I'll be embarrassed but I just loved it that's amazing <laughs> they sent me their invitations and I was like yes girls uh, no the right <laughs> the right answer is they have to listen to it as, uh, right? as interns oh gosh no okay so we've got that out of the way what is the best part of the job and and I think twofold what's the best part in your mind of serving that nonprofit industry and then what's the, what is your favorite part about being a business owner, running your own business? Yeah. Oh, okay. Two really good questions. I think serving the nonprofit industry, obviously you guys are philanthropic. Many people in your organization are. And so it's just seeing the change that happens in the community. And I think that for me, I really like being able to work with multiple organizations because before, you know, you kind of have your blinders on and you're like, this is my space that I work in. And what's really cool now is that I have clients that I can see how their work is affecting certain populations and groups and then how it's all kind of working together. And so that's what I think is really cool about getting to be in this space that I'm in. And, you know, just when you see the end result of the fundraising and what they're able to do, like I enjoy it so much. Yeah, it doesn't feel like work. And then as far as being an entrepreneur, you know, working for myself, I love the flexibility that I have with mm-hmm. it. Um, we got out of a big meeting the other <laughs> the other day. I had kind of a client onboarding meeting and it was about an hour and a half, two hours long. And after we got out, I looked at my interns and I was like, girls, I think my brain is done. And they said, yeah, me too. So I said, okay, well, everybody have a good day. And I went and got my nails done. And then I went back to work. Yeah. Then I went back to work. Um, But I was just like, my brain's fried after that. That was a great meeting. I'm taking a break. I'm going to consult with my boss. Oh, that's me. That's me. I'm going to take my all. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. I love it. Reflect. Yeah. I think that's it. And, you know, on a more serious note, as Catherine knows, um, my family dealt with an illness for my dad and he passed away in December and um, he had had early onset Alzheimer's. But I haven't talked about this up until this point in this podcast, but I do think it's important that people know that like, that's a big reason why I wanted to work for myself because I think that, you know, everybody always talks about taking care of their care of their families and in a kid's way, you know, I am single. I have a dog, don't have any children, but you know, my dad's care and my mom's well-being were huge importance to me. And so I just kind of felt like, and this was pre-pandemic, now everybody's thinking about flexibility in their right. jobs and where they're working. But I thought, you know what, if I need to go to Chickasha for a few days, like I can go to Chickasha. They've got Wi-Fi. I can sit there and work. And, you know, I've done that off and on throughout this and then was able to spend three weeks there when I really need to be there. Absolutely. And all of my clients, of course, were gracious and wonderful people. And we still got stuff done for them, yeah. but, um, had lots of grace with me during that period of time and were really supportive too. And so that was a huge necessity for me at the time. So obviously I love what I do and I loved what I was mm. doing, but I was also feeling, and not because my mom was putting pressure on me or anything, but I just felt pressure of like, 
I know that there's going to be a day when I need to be in full control of my time. And that day did come and I needed it. And so that took stress off of you. Yeah. Oh yeah. So much stress. And my mom too, you know, being able to, and my brother, because I was able to be there. So, you know, I just think that that's important. Like so many people and I work at the treasury, which is a women's co-working space. And so many of the women there who've started their businesses, it's, you know, childcare. And so all of these issues can also, you know, besides just Yep. That it's fun to work for yourself. Right. You know, it's it was also kind of I had a necessity, you know, there was a need in that. And so now it is nice. I mean, I have a client in Chickasha, so I was like, well, I'm just gonna go down there and see them in person, spend some time <laughs> with my mom. And yeah, so there are some really nice pieces of that. And, you know, now I don't feel like I need to be available all the time to just run to Chickasha at the drop of a hat, but now I enjoy that kind of freedom. So it's nice. And I think for me too, besides just like the lifestyle of it, I really like solving problems. Like I'm a puzzle person. I like connecting the dots. And so for me, being able to build things from scratch, being able to identify needs and figure out how I can fill them and what's going to be the most effective and how can I package this? I've written my own grant writing curriculum. Never thought I would do that, but I was kind of oh, like, how cool. okay, she sure. Some classes. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to be doing more. Love it. You know, just seeing opportunities and being able to just create them and say, yeah, I'll do that. I really love that. I've always been kind of an inventive person. And so, yeah, I'm not recreating, you know, I'm not doing anything that's like rocket science, but it's really fun to get to play with all of the different pieces of the business. And you think outside the box. Yeah. And think of something in a different way, because I also feel like in the nonprofit industry, everything's been done the way it's been done for so long. And so, yeah, I would say broken. Yeah. And exactly. And I would say that's a challenge for me too. But going back to the challenge as, as an entrepreneur is I feel like I have this different model of doing things. You know, I'm not getting paid by the hour. I have service packages. So a lot of those are monthly retainer or maybe like a one-time investment. And then we figure out moving forward what that would look like. And, you know, everybody just thinks we've got to have our in-house development director. Somebody's got to be carrying our flag all the time. And I get it. I have been that person and I totally get it. I think that for some nonprofits, you just need somebody who's doing the work. You know, you need somebody who's writing those proposals. You need somebody who is making sure that your thank you letters are going out so your donors know you appreciate them and they'll come back. You know, sometimes you just need those practical things because your executive director, your program person, they tell the stories so well. So I feel like I'm just a behind the scenes person. Filling in a void. Yeah. And so I'm just equipping them to be able to share their story really well. I think the challenge there, though, is that it's so different from what a lot of organizations think they need or want. And some, again, some do need a full-time person. There's Mm -hmm. just enough going on that they need that. I think that when you're offering a different solution, sometimes it's hard to get people to share your vision. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So my granddad, uh, my dad's side was a, he was a pastor for many years, but then after, you know, he was kind of done being at, full-time pastor preaching, you know, every single Sunday, he became a fundraiser for mainly for churches within kind of our denomination. And I can promise you that Grandpa D did not view fundraising the same way that Bailey Gordon Consulting does because there's a three-generation gap in there. And so to your point, there is, and I see this a lot probably in the nonprofit space a little bit more than others, is we've always done it this way. This is how they've done it for years, especially with the nonprofits or charities that have existed for a 
long time. Some of the newer ones, I'm sure, are a little different. So I think that's a really good point you brought up. Yeah, I think that that's a challenge is just getting people to kind of buy in. And once they're bought in, I mean, I keep my clients for many months at a time. And so it's like once it's bought in and we kind of get into the groove of working together, then it just kind of becomes a part of their operations. And that's why I like working the way that I do, because I get to feel like I'm kind of part of the team for all of these different organizations and I'm carrying their flag. So now, cool. Which is right. great. Yeah. yeah. Catherine, do you have anything before we go to stories? Any other questions? Anything we missed? What would be your elevator speech? I think my elevator pitch would just be if you're looking for where to start, for who to ask, for how to ask, that's what I'm here to help you answer. I'm here to help you answer those questions and then also figure out how you're going to do it and how you're going to accomplish it. It's a great question. Probably it. I know. I feel like that was not my strongest answer. I'm going to have to, you know, the MBA in me is coming out where I remember all of my pitch classes and I was like, Oh, my teachers would be so disappointed. That was not strong enough. (laughs) But yours was uh, off the cuff and uncanned. So I like it. I like it. All right. If people have listened to our podcast for some, any length of time, we always like to get stories. because I think that really drives home the point. And you've already told a couple but do you have any, a few of your favorite jobs, your favorite clients? And again, you don't have to name names, but some of your favorite experiences you've had since you've started your consulting business, rewarding, maybe the nonprofit came back after the fact that was reluctant to start or hire you because of what we've talked about. Some of those pushback items, some success stories, anything you want to share. I just think the stories kind of drive home for listeners, really what it is that, that you do. You know, I would say that a lot of my favorite stories are not even necessarily things that I did or I get to be part of, which maybe makes me not a great salesperson for my own business right now. (laughs) But, you know, I work with the Oklahoma Zoological Society right now and I joined their zoo troop. I try to get involved on a couple of levels with the groups that I work with. Very cool. And so I went to this zoo troop event where we got to meet baby Rama, the baby elephant. So jealous of that. Oh, my three-year-old would be very jealous of that. Amazing. Amazing. And so we got to go into the elephant's home and see them. Wow. And we had just written a grant, which the which was funded for like a large animal ven- ventilator. It's called a Zubinator. And so Whoa. we had just written a grant for this. And as I'm, you know, learning about this Zubinator, it said that it allows humans, while animals are basically put under to be operated on or, you know, anything, it allows humans to be able to breathe for the animals, the large animals, rhinos and elephants specifically, because just a regular animal ventilator is not not enough for them because they're so large. Oh, and wow. so How? as I'm there meeting Rama, I'm like, you know what? And then if anything happens, these elephants, we're going to have a Zubinator and they're going to be okay. <laughs> I'm currently <laughs> so, mind blown. Right. I know. I just, every time I learn something new about the zoo or the veterinary, you know, the oh, veterinary hospital vet there, stuff. Yeah. it's crazy. So I would say that that has opened up a whole new world for me when I first met with Mandy Heaps and she was talking about like their animal care and enrichment. And she was like, yeah, these animals like these special balls and then these animals like these other special toys. And then, you know, we'll be writing some grants for that. And I just looked at her and I said, I'm about to learn a lot about animals, aren't I? She goes, yes, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> so anyway, so that, so that was a it's pretty a great story. Yeah, yeah. That was a pretty cool moment. And then I worked with a group called the halo project. They were one of my first clients and 
they actually went on to win one of Impact Oklahoma's $100,000 mm. grants, which was really cool. And I wasn't even a part of that, but I was just so happy for them. You know, once you're in the BG consulting family, you're kind of always in it. And you're a cheerleader for life. Yeah. But with them, I was just learning about what they were doing and getting to, I met a few of the kids that they serve. So they actually do these really intensive counseling services with kids who are in foster care or who have been adopted. Mm -hmm. And they do such, this is such a like revolutionary technique that they're actually training professionals from all over the world in this particular, it's called TBRI, trust-based relational intervention. And so they are training people from all over the world in this because it's a very proven method. And after one of their, I think they're like 10, 12 week sessions, most of these families and kids don't need more mental health care after this. They don't need more counseling. They have made so much progress and had so much growth. And so that to me is just, I mean, it's mind blowing. And that's happening here in Oklahoma City. That's something that's really cool. You know, they're a group that I didn't know about before. And so you work in the nonprofit industry and especially in Oklahoma City, I feel like we're, you know, the biggest little city ever, the biggest small town ever. And you feel like you know everyone and you know everything that's happening. And then now I keep getting introduced to more and more groups that are doing really incredible work like that. So that's been really awesome to see. And then again, to see how they kind of all work together. If anybody listens to this podcast, they have questions. What's the best way for them to contact you? Go to the website? Yeah, my website, baileygordonconsulting.com. Perfect. And there's a contact me, contact Bailey portion. So yeah, it'll go straight to my inbox. Straight to you. Yeah, I would love to be in touch. Bailey, thank you so much for your time. You know, with everything going on in the world, and we could say this probably in any given year, but it's so fun to highlight the nonprofit world because it's just going to continue to push forward. It's going to continue to do good in the places that it needs to do good. And it just takes people understanding and being educated on what's out there. Catherine's writing an article that's going to come out here in the next week or so. Uh, We always try to do one in the summer on nonprofits. So Catherine being our in-house nonprofit cheerleader, if you will. Yes. But we kind of highlight that, that whole idea that if you have a passion for something, I can promise you there's a nonprofit that absolutely someone is working in that meets space that need, right? and someone needs your help to get it done. Yeah. And so that's what I really love about my job and what I feel like now in this consulting space, I have even more opportunity to do is try to help find more partnerships for an array of organizations that are working in so many different mm-hmm. areas because yeah, That's just it. Everyone has their passion. Everyone has been affected by something. Everyone feels that there are certain things that are really important to have available to people in our community. And, you know, just get involved. Just make a phone call. And if they don't call you back, honestly, they're probably just really busy, but they appreciate your call. (laughs) And then they they call you back. They will get back to you. (laughs) Tell them to call Bailey and she can take a load off their plate. Right. Right. But, you know, I think that that's the big thing. Just, you know, there's something for everyone out there when it comes to getting involved. And it really takes all of us to make a lot of change in our communities. It does. Yeah. Thank you for highlighting the nonprofit. You bet. Thank you both so much for the time, Bailey. Appreciate you taking the time to visit the office. Well, thank you for inviting me. The uh, podcast studio. Glad you came. Oh, I love coming to Full Sail. Anytime. Come anytime. Anytime. (laughs) We'll do it again soon. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's conversation, please review and subscribe through your preferred podcast platform. Have a great week.
All opinions expressed by the host and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Full Sail Capital for this informational podcast. purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Full Sail may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. 